Last time you faced a big earthquake, baby, it was just a little case of hit and run. But this time, baby, you're in a lot of trouble because, you see, you signed for a stretcher match with the earthquake. Nobody beats the earthquake in a stretcher match. This match is going to continue on till one man cannot continue anymore. He's carted out on a stretcher, never to return again, baby. Hogan, you're looking at the man in the WWF who has the most experience in stretcher matches. All of my matches are stretcher matches. All of my opponents go out on a stretcher. You yourself have not been excluded. You have experience because you felt the stretcher. Now, you're going out on the stretcher once and for all, and that's a promise from the quake. You are going to fail all of the earthquakes that I've been keeping inside. You and Hulkamania are finished in this match. You and Hulkamania are going out on a stretcher. You have to be willing to rewatch a movie. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah. Please don't aggregate this. Lillard, long range three. Their defense is atrocious. I'm sort of the rock star. People, Tiso is the official watch of the NBA. Everybody who listens to this podcast knows how I feel about aggregation. I'm oddly intrigued by neck tattoos. Yeah, we love China. We love no playing there. Oh, man, oh, man. I'm, sorry. I'm sorry. It's just hitting me right now. Shut up and listen. You, you think you're better than me? Next up, two minutes later, we have Jimmy Snuka entering the ring. What do you want to say about this guy? I mean, we could say a lot about him, but I feel like that's a whole other episode. Um, this was definitely the, the you know downside of his career. Um, I mean, I don't know if I, I definitely didn't realize it as a kid, but he was a huge, huge star um, in the early days of the WWF, like pre WrestleMania, you know, like eighty three, eighty four. Um, he was a bigger star than like Hogan, you know, in the beginning and just, um, you know, he was like the staple, like he would just fill Madison Square Garden by himself, you know, in the, in the early 80s. Oh He's my climbing God. to the top of the steel cage. I don't believe it. Superfly perch, 15 feet high. Oh my huge star you know the the one of the earliest like really high-flying you know aerial acrobatic guys even before macho man um and uh you know by now he was definitely like on the tail end of his career um and of course he also has a uh, very dark and tragic backstory a wrestling legend is charged in his girlfriend's death 32 years ago after the dead woman's sister waged a long battle to get justice we realized this is ridiculous. We have to do something about this. Jimmy Snuka. Jimmy Superfly Snuka rose to fame in the 1980s with his trademark Superfly Splash. Can he still fly? Yes! In 1983, his girlfriend, Nancy Argentino, was found bruised and gasping for air in their motel room in Allentown, Pennsylvania. 
23-year-old Nancy died the next day. An autopsy found she suffered from a fractured skull and 39 contusions and abrasions. But the investigation went nowhere. It languished in the cold case file. Oh, I feel bad about it. The case yeah. has haunted the Hall of Fame wrestler whose daughter Tamina is a WWE star herself. In 2013, during a radio interview, he gave this account of Nancy's injuries. So what happened? She fell? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, banged her head, and, you know. Was she conscious? She was uh, not feeling too good. Nancy's sister, Lorraine, never stopped pushing prosecutors to reopen the investigation. We got the word out, and then, then we contacted the DA and said, hey, look at all the things that are going on here. And can't you do something about it? Lorraine was working here at her flower shop in Manhattan when she got the call she had been waiting for for more than three decades. The district attorney from Pennsylvania told her that Jimmy Superfly Snooka would be charged with her sister's murder. Two minutes later, Ben, we have your guy. British Bulldog. We should know right before the uh, uh, Bulldog comes in, uh, Undertaker tosses uh, Butch out, out of the ring very violently, I will say. Undertaker just got rid of the Bushwhacker. Well, that makes two for the Undertaker if we're keeping score on throwouts or home runs as it may be. So you realize, and, and then there's like another shot of, um, of him just brutalizing the Texas Tornado. Um, they have like a great uh, camera shot, like zoomed in on his face. Um, and yeah, like they're really like you can tell like what kind of like push the, the company sort of like putting behind this guy, like showing, you know, uh, sort of his power and, and and the way the cameras like would focus in on his on his, you know, death stare um, it was just like really uh, deliberate and, and, and like really well done. You know, something that was really different about The Undertaker, too, was like his character informed the way that he wrestled. And that wasn't Mm -hmm. always the case with a lot of these guys where, you know, Mm -hmm, they would have mm -hmm. this personality, but then between the ropes, they were just wrestling. But literally, literally the way the undertaker stalked around the ring, the way he moved. Yeah. He was so stiff. The way he wrestled, literally picking people up by the throat. The fact that he was this massive tower of a man, it was a very like three dimensional character that he created, you know, where yeah. like, he like lived and wrestled as the part at all times. Um, but we should say importantly, as the event is going on, people are being tossed from the ring. Uh, it, it, forgive us if we can't uh, sort of uh, capture. Yeah, capture it's, this is a yeah. bit. But um, one, it's impossible to cover this because we should too know. Much. One thing we should know because you just brought it up that this was the second person that Taker had tossed from the ring. A separate event that could be fun or a separate award that might be fun was just like, who's the guy that threw the most people out? Like, who yeah. had... Well, I can tell you if I had, that you can look that kind of thing up. And, yeah. Um, okay. So you've, you've got it ready. So you'll, you'll tell us after the match has ended. But it is sort of significant to think about, like, who is the person that did the most damage in the ring versus the person that, mm-hmm. like, was standing at the end? No, that's a, that's a very... Uh, trust me, I've I've... Been intrigued by that question as well. So we have the British Bulldog running into the ring. Oh, yeah. There he is. This is is your guy. My man. Uh, What can I say? Love him. Love him so much. Love that ridiculously massive oily torso. The braids, the the tights, that massive butt. Um, (laughs) Just an absolute 
brick shit house of a man. Um, and um, and yeah, he was British, and he had a bulldog named Winston, and I loved him. Mr. Perfect, the perfect intercontinental champion, but not for long, because Mr. Perfect, the British bulldog, he's hot on your tracks, and I've been running for you. I'm gonna catch you, Mr. Perfect, and when I do. You're going to have one 275-pound mean, strong, hard, hungry British bulldog going after you. And I mean business. And Weasel, you come anywhere in that ring, and Winston's going to take care of you. Ghost, anything you want to offer here? Uh, we have the British bulldog in the ring. Uh, you know, as far as his looks go, um, pretty standard stuff. I was always, you know... Standard stuff? Ghost, what are you Jesus talking about God. here? Me, are you man. kidding me? Excuse Jesus, me. Ghost. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm entitled to my own opinion here. No, uh, there's nothing standard about British Bulldog. He, oh, honestly, he, you're going to, this is co- controversial. I'm unnecessarily introducing kind of, a, I'm going to put a bee in your bonnet, Ben. He, oh, uh, dare you. just the British thing, I'm not British. He is like a dollar store uh, Hulk Hogan or something to me. I, I just don't know what <laughs> he's doing here, <laughs> why he's here. Uh Honestly, I just like uh, he, he felt shoehorned in to me. Uh, why? Why is this guy promoting Ghost his leaning into British, his jingoistic nationalism on my jingoistic programming? As an eight-year-old, I didn't appreciate it. I can only report the facts. Uh, yeah. Don't feel exactly the same way today. He's fine. He can live with Hogan, but uh, I just didn't understand why they were shoehorning in this uh, this guy and his, his his British love into my jingoistic USA only programming. Wow. All right. Next up, guys, we have. <laughs> I'm not, not going to dignify. I'm not. Just, I'm not going to dignify that with a with with response. No That's... response. Yeah, no, that's fine. I mean, you're wrong, but that's fine. We have Smash. Uh, Smash enters the ring. Uh, let's talk about this getup. This mm. this sort <laughs> of, I don't even know, the straps across the chest, Ghost, it gives me some, what is it? S&M vibes? What, what was that? Yeah, there's, there's some S&M, S&M vibes. S&M, yeah. that was what I was looking for, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. they're definite uh, S&M vibes. Definite S&M vibes uh let me get a clearer shot. Like gimp, like gimp, like a very large muscular gimp. What do we know about the face paint? I mean, it reminded me of a, um, um, was it a, is it a backgammon board? Yes. Um, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. With the, was it backgammon or, or parcheesy? Like the, that, that like yeah, long triangular yeah. pattern. Yeah. Um, my, my grandfather who introduced me to wrestling, was a big backgammon fan. Um, so I feel like I, I associate, and I had, I remember like playing, I had uh, all these, you know, like ac- action figures, and I remember like playing a lot with um, Axe and Smash um, in my little wrestling ring at my grandpa's house as a kid. Um, probably not far from his uh, backgammon board. That was a staple in the Shure household. Um, but um, yeah, I mean, they were obviously like, you know, it's very much inspired uh, by. You know, Mad Max, uh, those movies, much like the Road Warriors. I feel like there was, I don't know if it was just like a promotional picture, but I feel like I saw a picture of Demolition, um, you know, which was the, the tag team that, that Smash came from, where one of them actually had like a full head, um, like leather mask, like a gimp. Um, I don't know mm. if that's just something I, I invented. Yeah, they definitely had a little of that, a little of that going. Yeah. Which, and then you know. just just two minutes later, we have Hawk from Legion of Doom enters oh, the baby. ring. It's Hawk from Legion of Doom. 
boy. Look at that, oh man. boy. Look at this guy here. I mean, first of all, like <laughs> it just beelines into the ring, starts kicking everyone. And we discussed the hair uh, in, in a previous episode here, but w- w- explain this again for us, Ben. This is a reverse mohawk that is shaved into into Hawk's head here? Yeah, that's right. He, he shaved a reverse mohawk so that he could, you know, match his head with his partner Animal's um, regular mohawk. So they were like you know, puzzle they would pieces. meet heads. Yes, exactly. Um, so we should uh, quickly mention, just because it's, a, it's an important one, but uh, Jake's, Jake the Snake's elimination is, yeah. is pretty noteworthy um, just because he is, you know, he goes for a DDT on the model um, and the model is just like slithering around, you know, outside the turnbuckle to escape from it. And then from the outside, so models like on the, on the ring apron, um, you know, hanging on the ropes. <laughs> From the outside, he pulls Jake out, um, which was just like a like an incredibly you know heelish move. And then and then once Jake is on the mat outside, Rick Martel wipes the sweat off of his incredibly sweaty, greasy head and flicks it at Jake as like a as like a you know a parting shot, like a like a, a farewell, you know, waving goodbye with his sweat from his disgusting, grease laden head. Absolutely disgusting. Um, yeah, I love that move so much. And I was just like, oh, the model. Uh, he's just like, God, like really, really underrated heel. Yeah. Like just a, a fantastic, uh, disgusting man. <laughs> um, and uh, I mean, obviously, aesthetically, you know, beautiful and perfect. Um, but, but uh, you know, personality wise, uh, couldn't couldn't be more repulsive. Um, and um, anyway, yeah, getting back to Hawk. Um, yeah, he's awesome. He comes in. And uh, goes right after. Um, I mean, I love the way they like. So Hawk gets in there, and there's immediately like a swarm of like five guys. They just like, you know, gravitate around him, like he's some kind of magnet. Um, and um, and they just swarm him, and he's just like, you know, point, like hitting guys off of him left and right. Um, it's just an awesome entrance. Um, you know, sort of shows the, you know, the 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 kind of like power and respect of of, of Hawk that. You know this this gang of men have to try to slow him down once he gets in there, um, and then he goes right after Undertaker, and I'm just like, oh shit, Hawk versus Undertaker is one of those like you know serious little matchups in sure. there. Um, extremely exciting to see them square off, I- and I, actually to this point, I don't think Undertaker's even been like dropped. Like I don't think he's like obviously he's he hasn't been eliminated, but he hasn't even been like knocked off of his feet yet. Yeah. He's just so solid, man. Guys, yeah. I mean, one thing about The Undertaker, you see this with Hawk, with his interaction. He doesn't deal with, like, the corporeal body of these people. He he deals in the underlying skeleton. He uses the leverage of the skeleton to <laughs> manipulate his opponents. With disgusting Greg the Hammer Valentine, he reaches in under the top jaw to manipulate him, to manipulate him and drag him where he wants. So he's literally using the skull as his, his, his kind of blueprint for where to grab these people. And with Hawk, he goes right into an eye socket and drags him by the eye socket. So the Undertaker, this is kind of a subtle visual thing, but he's literally just ignoring the flesh and going right for the bones. It's, uh, it's so perfect in my eyes. Yeah. That's such a good point. Feel sick to my stomach, yeah. ghost. Yeah, you should. I mean, that's what he's supposed. He's a he's a horror movie villain, dude. Not just a villain. He's a monster, which is worse than a villain. A villain has feelings. Yep. 
He is just like an undead monster. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he's not doing anything intentionally. He's just like, this is just the w- how he behaves. Yeah. He's just programmed this way. In the interest of time, how would you guys feel about me uh, introducing like four or five wrestlers in a row and we can talk about them as a group? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, a lot of these guys, we can see, sure. like Shane Douglas. Yeah, yeah, so, so the next handful of guys, the next handful of guys we'll talk about is we have the entrance of Shane Douglas, Animal, Crush, Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Of course, Macho mm. Man Randy Savage was supposed to enter the ring with the 18th uh, draw, but Ben, he no-showed mm. the match. Um, I don't know if you have any explanation as to why, but um, critically... Well, we don't know... Yeah, like this was a, a an actually a really like I remember this being like so like intriguing and 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 curious and weird as a kid. So number eighteen um, just doesn't come out. So number number seventeen is Shane Douglas, and then number eighteen they're just like, well, where is he? No one comes out, and the for the entire rest of the of the you know um, entrance there uh, that is individual entrant uh wrestlers whatever um they're wondering like okay who was number 18 process of elimination so it's not revealed until the very end they didn't um until they figure out who it is um and um yeah spoiler alert it, it turns out to be macho man um which um i believe in reality he had like a, an actual real life injury like a broken wrist or a hand or something like that that he was recovering from um which uh they you know just put into the storyline by uh by explaining that you know he was terrified of the ultimate warrior so he just left the entire arena i guess with um with scary sherry at his side um once he heard the the pounding on that door he just got out of there and and i guess was so afraid that warrior would come out and attack him during the rumble that he uh just no-showed which uh you know hey gotta gotta hand it to the guy it's very very good smart self-preservation uh shane douglas animal crush hacksaw jim duggan uh ghost pick one of these guys and uh, is there a particular look there that you like that you want to discuss? I, for one, I mean, I was a huge fan of Hacksaw. He gets a huge pop when he comes out and 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 raises that two by four yeah. in the crowd uh, in the air. Crowd yeah. crowd just eats that. I gotta up. go with hacksaw. You know, I I visually classify all these guys in my mind then and now, and he's he's in the smooth boy category in that he does not have an exceptionally <laughs> developed uh, physique. But of all of the smooth boys, he's my favorite smooth boy, and I just love him. Uh, the the piece of wood, like what the hell is that? I just uh, <laughs> I love hacksaw. Uh, favorite then and now. Uh, again, you with this guy. When you hear him talk, he's more intelligible than the warrior. That's not a high bar, but he there's this level of instability and just. But it's a happy instability. So he's uh, again. If we're going back to that kind of uh, you know the scale, like the lawful neutral, all that. He's kind of the uh, unlawful uh, good, I guess you could say. I think that's one of mm-hmm. the squares. Ben, do you know? Chaotic do you know good, what the gimmick yeah. with? Uh, hacksaw was exactly like how how is that character pitched to vince do you do do you know i i don't know if i might be missing some specifics on it but it just always seemed to me just kind of like all american working class lunch pail joe uh that's about just you know very there was a lot of patriotism to him even though he Mm -hmm. wasn't decked out in red white and blue he had the classic blue trunks just kind of a simple guy yeah, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that was a big part of his appeal. It's, Simple guy, American guy. That's a 
That's yeah, he would often come to the ring with an American flag. I always think of these guys in terms of occupation. And for me, it was like, oh, I think he's a construction worker or something. <laughs> yeah. Like he had the two by, he had the two by four, and I was like, I think that's because he works and like builds. I think he's a builder. Yeah, yeah I think he just got that on the on like a job site, and was like, oh, I'll just bring this to my other job with me. Right, 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 right. right. Yeah, Animal gets in there, and um, Legion of Doom now, and in, in, you know, in full full effect, and um, and they go after uh, Undertaker, and they double clothesline him out. So it takes two of the, you know, strongest, most powerful brute force men in the entire Federation in Hawk and Animal to, uh, to get Undertaker over the ropes. Um, I just love that, again, just a brilliant choice by WWF to be like, how are we going to get this guy out of here? Um, we're going to need, you know, uh, you know, two men, two of the, the, the strongest, uh, and most, uh, you know, popular at that time, certainly guys that gets like a huge, huge pop when, uh, when Undertaker uh, gets eliminated, um, yeah, it's just so much chaos. Like, my notes, I'm just like, man, chaos, just chaos, chaos. Um, right after Undertaker, Animals, uh, oh, no, uh, Hawks eliminated. Yeah. Yeah, we can keep Yeah, going. I was going to say, let's move on to entrant number 22. Yeah. I think, you know, Earthquake, uh, surprise, surprise, is going to be one of the people that makes it really far in the match. So we can sort of discuss some of the narratives going on with Earthquake and his opponents uh, throughout the course of the match. But for now, um, let's just talk generally about this guy, Earthquake. Um, What do we know? What do we like? Ghost, what do you see here with uh, the Earthquake? Love the earthquake. Uh, so, you know, the other day I was at my drawing board and I was, you know, just, I, I picked off my uh, shelf one of my old uh, how to draw comic books uh, reference guides and it was kind of giving you like the scale of how to draw a man to, you know, uh, a superhero to a villain. And then so it was like this kind of weird scale. It was like average Joe, you draw him like six heads high or whatever. Uh, then you have like uh, athlete, and he was like six and a half heads high. Then you go to superhero, and then there's these two more on the scale. Uh, and this is where it gets fun for me. This is what I like to draw. This is what I like to see. And then it's like the next guy up was brute, and then beyond brute you have giant. And so uh, <laughs> <laughs> earthquake was the giant of this match, and for just this hulking inhuman beast, no man should ever be that large. Uh, just and that's uh it's amazing did either of you guys know about his tattoo on his uh the lion the tiger the, tattoo the tiger. Yeah. yeah i i don't know um what the you know story behind that is where he got when or where when he got it but i know that he had it very early in his career um and it was actually one of the things that um so he was a he he uh he trained and wrestled, um, you know, collegiately, um, and then went to Japan and actually became a, a sumo wrestler, like a real deal sumo wrestler in Japan. Um, uh, 
フライングボディープレスがジョンセンサーのボディのあたりを捉えましたそのままカウント3が入ってしまいます However, I think one of the reasons why he ended up leaving Japan and leaving that business is that they、uh, really frowned upon his tattoo The tattoos were like You know, sort of meant something different、um, over in Japan. And、um, so it was a,、uh, a real tattoo. I have,、um, I have a couple of theories.、Um, so, John Tenta,、uh, the actual you know, name of, er- of Earthquake, he went to Louisiana State University, LSU. Chris is on to、uh, something. There we go, Chris. The Tigers. He competed、mm-hmm. uh, in the NCAA as a collegiate wrestler. Um, he was nicknamed Big John Tenta, and he was a varsity wrestler, and he also played football. He was known as the gentle, as, as the quiet giant, and he worked at, as a bouncer at a college bar at LSU called The Bangle. Oh, shit. Yeah. Wow. That is some serious research, Chris.、So、Thank you. I looked into this tattoo. I couldn't、yes. get any exact answers, but. I, I'm going to guess that it was an homage to his history and his past wrestling at LSU. And、uh, yeah, and, and, and like I said, he was a bouncer at a college bar called The Bengal. Yeah, that's my understanding too, Chris. This tattoo has held a lot of fascination for me. Obviously, tattoos are、uh, art form I love, I have a lot on myself. But.、Uh, One thing that、uh, was kind of disappointing to learn is that、uh, he felt so strongly about、uh, his transition、uh, to the gimmick Shark a few years after this Royal Rumble that he covered up that、uh, beautiful tiger tattoo.、Uh, he felt that was going to be such a big deal, him turning into the shark, that he covered up this、uh, iconic tiger tattoo that. Presumably meant so much to him in his uh, time at uh, the campus of LSU, and he covered it up with this really ugly, bad looking shark. And、uh, insult to injury,、uh, this cover up took 24 hours, according to legend, and、uh, that's a long time to sit in a, sit in a chair. Jesus Christ, that's awful.、Yeah. And that was Shark was,、uh, was it in w- WCW, if I'm yeah, not mistaken, right? right yeah, so. Yeah, I mean, and yeah, Ben. One, like, w- yet one more crime against humanity,、yeah. humanity that WCW committed. Yeah, I mean, like Ben mentioned, you know, he, this is a guy that trained as a sumo wrestler in Japan. And tattoos, I know, in Japan are not acceptable. They're, they're associated with like gangsters and crime and violence, and、mm-hmm. they are、uh, public displays. Of tattoos were prohibited at that time, especially on a wrestler. So, yeah, I mean, if you see old photos of John Tenta when he was in Japan working as a sumo wrestler, he has a large bandage covering his bicep with that tiger tattoo, covering it up. Joining us now from Surrey, BC, John Tenta. Welcome home, John. Thank you very much. I was expecting to see you with long hair. When did you get a cut? I got that cut, I guess, the day after I announced I was finished with sumo. You didn't waste any time. Well, it was too long. I didn't like messing with it every day. Unless it's up in the top knot, it's hard to handle. What was it about the lifestyle of the sumo wrestler that you said, I've had enough, I don't want to take this anymore? There's a lot of demands and a lot of pressure put on you.、Uh, I had to answer to guys that were much younger than me. I had to do anything that my senior wrestlers asked me. Can you give us an indication of the type of hours that you put in? How much training went into this sport? 
Well, during the tournament, I'd, you know, I'd get up every morning about 5.30, and I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, well, we'd have practice, and then we'd have lunch, and then if I had a match, I'd have to go to the stadium, look after a senior wrestler, then come back, uh, make sure, you know, look after him while he ate. So I wouldn't get rest, you know, until probably about 7.30 in the evening. I read somewhere that you were a little tired about having sand pushed up your nose and into your mouth. <laughs> well, I, I, I didn't really get too much of that. Uh, got hit a little bit with sticks and a little bit of kicking and punching, but uh, it was just a whole bunch of little things overall that worked into one big thing. Why did they put you through that kind of harsh training? Well, they, they're trying to get you to your top condition so that uh, you don't feel pain. Uh, if you're sick or injured, you practice anyway. Because during a tournament, if you have a match, you have a match, and you have to be there. So they're just trying to get you mentally tough and physically tough. You know that some of the articles indicate that perhaps the Japanese thought you might be a little soft for giving up and, and quitting the sport at, the, at this time. Well, uh... Some people criticized me, but a lot of the Japanese press was also on my side. The system isn't run, I don't feel it's run very well. Uh, a lot of other people feel it's not run well. What was the good side of sumo? I mean, was there any good side of this sport for you? Well, uh, I, I, I don't regret going. I had a good time. I have become well known in Japan. Uh, I enjoyed myself. And now it's opened doors for other opportunities. Well, what will you be doing? What does a retired sumo wrestler do? <laughs> well, this one plans on going into professional wrestling back in Japan. You're going back to Japan? Yes, pr uh, hopefully very soon. Will you become the Hulk Hogan of Tokyo? <laughs> well, before I become the Hulk Hogan of Tokyo, I have to lose my sumo body and turn into a wrestling body, lose a little weight. How much weight have you lost since you, you quit training? Uh, well, I, I've lost 60 pounds since I went over to Japan. How much weight will you have to lose to get back into the type of wrestling that you want to do when you get back to Japan? I'd like to get down to about 340 pounds, I guess, 330. Go down from there. You know, you talked about being homesick for Canada. What were some of the things that you missed about home when you were living in Japan? I think freedom was a big thing. Uh, I wasn't allowed to do anything I wanted when I wanted. Uh, sumo wrestlers are always in the public eye, so you have to be very careful of scandals and things like that. What was the first thing that you had when you got back to Canada that you hadn't had in a long time? I guess the first thing I had was my mother's roast beef dinner, I guess. And did it hit the spot? Yeah, I enjoyed it. Let's talk about his look here, guys. We have this iconic trunks, the, the purplish... Pur is it purple? Is it blue? What, what, what? I think it's blue. I think it's like a dark, like a deep blue, royal blue. Deep blue? Is that what we land on, yeah. guys? Yeah. I think so. Yeah, um, blue. We have, yeah, we have a, a, a deep blue unitard with... Are these the seismic uh, 
uh, meter readings of uh, earthquake scale. Is that correct? I, think I believe that's, that's correct. Yeah. Supposed to be the Richter, of. The Richter a scale. Of a curve is that to them? Yeah, it's uh, it's supposed to make you think that probably, but it's just kind of the frenetic uh, energy, the kinetic energy of an earthquake is summed up with these kind of zigzaggy lines, the jagged opening up of the Earth. It's like. Uh, the blue above and then just the big black void that it might open up on the uh, San Andreas Fault. Uh, and <laughs> if you're going up against this guy, you are going into that void. <laughs> Very well I mean, said. Yeah, for the it's listeners an incredible at home, design. This is, you know, this is a man that was six foot seven and weighed a advertised 468 pounds. Um. A massive, a massive force, like a, a a human force of nature. This was one of my guys, you know. Like this is hardly a secret <laughs> here. You know, the earthquake was was really one of my guys. He was like an agent. He felt like an agent of chaos. Um, he was just an immovable force. Uh, I loved everything he was about, which was just sheer chaos. And um, you know. I'm going to have a lot to say about this man, but my God, seeing him in the ring, it was just like everyone else looked like little, little ants next to him, you know? Now, were you aware, Chris, of the, like at the time as a kid, were you, um, tuning in at the point when his feud with Hogan began? Like, did you, did you remember the, the whole, like, you know, him splashing, uh, you know, doing, doing the earthquake splash on Hogan? Uh, on the Brother Love show, like, in, you know, injuring him, quote-unquote. Jimmy Hart, you know, I don't feel the tremors, brother. I don't feel the earth shaking at my feet. I don't feel the ground opening up, swallowing up all of my Hulkamaniacs, brother. Where is the earthquake, Jimmy Hart? The earthquake's not here because of doctor's orders. Because, you see, he's got a 105-degree temperature. I think I had to like learn about it you know with all these guys like you're a lot of the time you're coming in mid-story so you have to like kind of rely on the WWF to like feed you the backstory and explain like right and they would show replays of this all the time you know on uh, during so I I think I had to catch up on that angle I, I I maybe remember it I can't remember if I saw it in real time or if I if I like you know was refreshed at the details but I knew that there was serious animosity between the Hulkster and between the earthquake. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, earthquakes, it was a, a, yeah. the earthquakes, can we talk about the earthquakes debut? Do you guys know about this? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure if I do actually. Oh boy. Okay. So the earthquake debuted. So he was wrestling. He was, he was doing sumo wrestling in Japan and he had uh, a couple of dark matches here in the States when, when he came over and joined the WWF he was, you know, Canadian. Um, so he, he was billed originally as, uh, 
you know, Earthquake Evans, and he was billed as being from the the Northern Yukon Territory. And um, he had a couple dark matches where I think he defeated Paul Roma and someone else, I forget. Wasn't he like, the, he was the Canadian Earthquake at first, right? Yeah, I just right? dropped it in the chat for you guys to feast your eyes upon the Canadian Earthquake. Oh, wow. Incredible. My goodness. I, yeah, he just, I mean, the man's mass was just so, I mean... He just does not. He, I hope he lost a few. I think he lost a few pounds uh, between the Royal Rumble and the time when this was. He just looks uncomfortable at this weight. I know. Just, yeah. yeah. Eventually, he approached Vince and requested that he be allowed to lose some weight, just like for his knees. And Vince, of course, yeah, was like, yeah, "Yeah, by by all means, like save your body." Right. So he makes his debut on TV. On November 11th of 1989, it's the WWF Superstars of Wrestling. He was a plant in the audience, just as a spectator, a literal guy in like a polo shirt and blue jeans sitting in the audience. This is at an event in West Virginia. And there is an in-ring interview between um, uh, Mean Gene with Dino Bravo and Ultimate Warrior. And Dino Bravo challenges the warrior to a strength competition. And so what they they decide the gimmick is going to be is they are going to have a spectator come into the ring. They pick out a random person from the audience. Jimmy Hart comes in. They pick out a ran, any random person from the, from the audience to come into the ring who is going to sit on the backs of Dino Bravo and the Ultimate Warrior <laughs> as they do push-ups <laughs> to see who could do the most push-ups. Warrior agrees. Dino Bravo agrees. You know what? I guess we're going to have to prove to you that he is the world's strongest man. And I guess everybody out here, too. Dino Bravo just told me that I can pick the largest man, the biggest man in the audience right now and bring him into the ring and he can get on Dino Bravo's back and he'll do the push-ups with him, Mean Gene. All right, take your pick, Jimmy. Hey, listen, Let's Jesse. See what you got over here? They grow them pretty big in West Virginia, I can tell you that. Excuse me, Jimmy Hart. Well, Hart will find one. If Please. there's anybody big to be found, Jimmy Nothing Hart will there. find them. Okay, well, there's some big man in this audience this week. There's a, we know there's there's a great sure. big one over there. Wait you a minute, we know for there. sure there's some big fat women out there. You see somebody? Jimmy Hart taking a good no look, way, no way. surveying this capacity crowd. I, I don't know, what are you doing to me, Jimmy Hart? What are you trying to load this competition? That's a good question. Look, Where? Everybody's pointing to that guy out there. All right, come on, big man. Wow. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, yeah you, come on. My hometown favorite, look at Yes, I can't. Jesse, take a look at the size yeah, of this that's man. that's impressive, Dino Bravo. That's and they pick out the biggest man that they can find, who, of course, is John Tenta. And he's just sitting back there, again, like, you know, eating his popcorn, just a guy in jeans and sneakers. And he gets up. They point at him, and he gets up. And he's all the way back. We're not talking about someone sitting in, like, the first row. We're talking about someone, like, you could just see in the background through the camera. And he gets up, he points at himself. He's like, me, me. And he, so he waddles down to the ring and he gets in the ring and he introduces himself. They, they ask him, you know, hey, what's your name, John? Where are you from? Whatever. Do I dare ask how much you, you weigh? 
460 pounds. Wait a minute. Oh, 460 <laughs> pounds. Yes, all right, Jimmy Hart, Dino Bravo, he's all yours. We're going to see if he can do a push-up. One, Look at two, that. three, four. I can't and believe so, it. So, so he sits on the back of Dino Bravo, who does these push-ups. Warrior agrees. He gets on the Warrior's back, and all of a sudden... Okay, Ultimate Warrior. What? Tenta leaps on him. Wait a minute! Whoa! Bravo! Falling through an elbow! See, I told you, McMahon, that he couldn't push up that big John character. He didn't have a a chance! Yes, he did. He set his weight on him, and the Warrior collapsed. Look at this! Crushes his back. <laughs> he does the 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 patent the earthquake splash. The splash, right? The splash, oh, wow. and it's his signature move. It's the one we know all about. The big splash, right on the warrior's back, and um, that is how you guys, John Tenta, the earthquake is inaugurated, is brought into the WWF as a heel with Jimmy Hart as his manager, and. My so he was originally pushed as the Canadian earthquake, like Ghost said, and then they just simplified it down to the un, to, to the earthquake, and he was this monster, this unstoppable uh, heel, and um, you know he would often <laughs> send his opponents out in a stretcher. Um, we can talk about Hogan and and what happened on the Brother Love Show, Ben, um, with that big uh, sit down splash. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, that is how the earthquake was introduced to, was introduced to WWF audiences was just a regular guy watching a match who comes in and shatters the, 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 the dreams of, of ever, of little kids watching at home. That's an incredible, incredible debut. Yeah. I mean, of course the time ultimate warriors, like, you know, one of the top stars, you know, baby faces the company. So to come in and. Yeah, it's incredible, like, yeah, how sort of, you know, how quickly he, he you know, grew in, into the into the spotlight as, like, the number one, you know, heel in the, in the company to go up against Hogan. It's basically, like, the, you know, the, the successor to uh, Andre the Giant, pretty much, you yeah. know? I mean, um, Vince had a thing. Then, Vince had a thing for... He liked his big boys. These yeah. big boys. He had a thing for, uh, like... I don't mean to say like freaks because that, that has a negative connotation, but he had a thing for like, uh, I mean, I mean from his perspective, beasts. Chris, I think that's fair to say. Yeah. Call him beasts, call him freaks. That's what he was thinking. Like circus. Yeah. They, they were like circus Again, attractions it, to him. Basically. Yeah. It's just another circus attraction. Yeah. It's just like, come see yeah. the big, the big yeah, giant. Come yeah. see the yeah. biggest man in the world, the heaviest man in the world. Yeah. And yeah. these yeah. guys were, they were freak athletes is what they were. Because the yeah. the way that John Tenta operated in the ring was fucking incredible. Um, yeah, no, it's mind-boggling the way he was able to move. I mean, we talked about it in a previous episode during that uh, promo, how he would just bounce up and down. And you were like, w- this guy is like... And it wasn't just like a like a big thundering... like, But he literally was just like, like a pogo stick. Um, 
and to be able to do that as a you know 450 pound man um and then yeah move around in the ring and and again remember like he's doing all this stuff um and throwing his weight around um but critically he's he's doing all of it so as not to injure his you know his 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 opponent Um, there's one moment in the match where you see tito santana i mean like the camera catches it perfectly tito santana is just using his stomach like a like a a punching bag just like doing like Mm. like those like vicious like rounds of punches and earthquake Mm -hmm. is laughing he's he splays his arms he's like you know punch away man like punch away this guy's like using up all of his energy punching him and earthquake (laughs) is just laughing he takes him by the head butts his head picks him up and literally deposits him outside the ring and the camera just catches him as he's like watching it and he's just stalking around the ropes and it's like my god this is something different here at this point guys you know enough time has passed here we have had a couple entrance entrances that we should talk about mr perfect and hulk hogan let's talk about these uh get ups we talked a bit about hogan before and his kind of look what do you what, what do you have that you like um from mr perfect here ghost you know he was a pretty boy mr perfect but he really wasn't that pretty actually he's about uh two steps away from uh the hammer in my book in terms of Ooh. face Wow. Um, so not so perfect, really. Uh, you know, just the cl- controversial statement. Controversial there. Controversial statement, perhaps. But uh, you know, I I, I didn't like uh, Mr. Perfect, and I think that was the whole point. Uh, he's got this sure. sunshine yellow and light blue unitard going. Um, mm. Just is not a lot there for me to feast on. He's uh, what I mean. You know, speaking of the miss, the the no show, Mr. Uh, Randy Savage, Savage, he actually penned uh, in his 2004 rap album a tribute to Mr. Perfect. Oh wow! My perfect, my perfect friend. This one goes out to my real close friend and buddy, Kurt Hennig, aka Mr. Perfect. Just want to let you know that you're missed, but you'll never be forgotten. You've always been an incredible friend. We just want you to know that we got your back, party system style, from the Lockdown back. Man, Randy Savage. Hey, Kurt, we miss you, but we know you're in a better place. It's kind of hard as time goes on and I don't see your face. So I'm clinching and I'm holding on to memories. Remember the times rolling strong, just you and me. It's real hard sometimes to keep it going day to day. But I know you wouldn't want it any other way. So I keep it moving, doing what I gotta do. And as a tribute, I'm dedicating a song to you. You were my perfect friend, right there until you were my perfect friend. It's cringeworthy. It's Macho Man uh, trying to fill a 15-track album, most of which was his att- bad attempt at uh, rap. And uh, my perfect friend was a bit of a departure from that. That's all I could think about. That I mean, Macho Man has totally uh, ruined my ability to appreciate this match. All I keep hearing is, "My, you were my perfect friend right up until the end." Wow. So, yeah, if anyone's unfamiliar with that, I mean, yeah, Chris can splice it in, but it's worth a, a listen in full. It's an incredible. I remember when I discovered that track, and I'm just like, what? That's really, what? yeah, Ben, that's all I can think about. I, I can't think about his moves or his looks. I'm just thinking about the song. One thing I'll, mm-hmm. I'll, I'll mention, um, I mean, it, 
it seems like a very obvious point, but it's sort of critical here. Is just you know there is blonde hair. Uh, Mr. Perfect had what I would describe as like highlighter hair. Like he, <laughs> yeah, it was yellow. His it hair, was full on yellow. His hair and his unitard was you know uh, uh, the same color, and it really was a fluorescent highlighter yellow. It was not like yeah you know natural blonde. It was glowing um in a very unnatural way yeah no mr perfect was an incredible heel um i mean definitely like you know beyond the the, the macho man song you know went down as, as one of the greatest uh you know technical wrestlers ever um uh i definitely hated him as a kid um he was a very very effective heel his whole cocky attitude just tied in perfectly with his uh, with his name. Um, one touch that I want to point out that I really, really appreciate is his towel. Um, the way he would saunter to the ring. And I love that, like, you know, uh, contrasting with so many of these other wrestlers who, who charge out like a, you know, house on fire. Um, perfect takes his time. He's just very slowly, gradually like sauntering to the, to the ring. And then he has this towel, this little like white towel that he uses to like, you know, uh, presumably like dab his forehead when he gets too sweaty. And then he, as he's walking towards the ring, he takes the towel and just tosses it over his head behind him. Um, in just such a, a haughty, just, you know, disrespectful manner. Yeah. yeah. Of course, the, the, the towel is caught by his, uh, you know, Weasley manager, uh, by the brain <laughs> Heenan. Um, but I just love his whole, yeah, it's just, uh, and then, um, the I towel, mean, once he's in the ring. The ta- before we move on, the towel, I think it's so, be- it's such a beautiful little prop for him. Cause it's like the, you know, the towel that you imagine this rich snobby guy grabbing outside. He just wrapped up his light workout at Equinox, maybe hitting some, uh, <laughs> tennis balls back and forth. <laughs> I was literally just, thinking a tennis court. Yeah, yeah. he's got like a latte towel. and a protein bar, and it's like, yeah. oh, look at he's, this prick. He's definitely a, <laughs> he's definitely a tennis player. Yeah, um, absolutely, hundred percent. Yeah, like some very very uh, high priced country club. Um, yeah, he's just like right tosses the towel like instead of like handing it to like you know the the most likely like you know uh undocumented immigrant uh you know uh employee of the country club instead of like handing it to him um you know he just like tosses it over in the bushes for like the, <laughs> With the, poor, no the, the poor kid if it hits <laughs> if it hits the towel repository great if not fernando's gonna pick it doesn't up and mr perfect doesn't care because he's a prick <laughs> Oh my yes. god. Oh my god. Yes. Um, so so Let's accurate. talk about Hogan's um, entrance. Oh, Hulkster, yeah. uh, we can talk more about Hogan uh, as, as the match goes on and sort of winds down here. But what, what do you see that you like here uh, or, or just observations about his look? One thing I'll say is that I don't think we've ever really discussed or put uh, a name to yet. But like, so he had the red bandana, the, ke- the, the Heinz ketchup um, bandana. One thing about Hogan is that he maybe more so than anyone that we've ever discussed on the podcast, Ben, I think made bald baldness cool. Like he was, Mm. I think probably our, he might be our most successful bald, um, in, in mainstream pop culture. Is that fair? Or certainly like sports culture. Um, Can you think of a higher performing? I mean, Aside from Michael Jordan, who shaved into his bald, Hogan... Right, we're talking about natural balds Hogan here, was, people who embrace their baldness. Yeah, Hogan yeah. may have been our most highly successful, popularized, naturally unashamed bald 
that we've had. Uh, Ghost? Well, yeah, I mean, I just want to kind of a pedantic point, but a point nonetheless. I, in a certain way, it wasn't a natural bald because he was introducing exogenous testosterone, that is, from outside the system, injected <laughs> through a needle into his body, higher levels of testosterone, the byproduct of which is dihydrotestosterone, which causes the baldness. So in a certain way, it was a very unnatural baldness. So go ahead with normal way people talk. That was my blurt. My goodness, Ghost. <laughs> Thank you. Very, very important point. Uh, uh, thank you, thank ghost. you for clarifying that. Yes. Um, um, yeah, but it is gosh, a it yeah. is a stark reminder because he wears that uh, that red bandana so much. It was such an iconic part of his look. He slides into the ring, and is it? Uh, it's not. Is it? Is it Smash that goes right to work on Hogan? Yeah, the, Smash. Smash. The goes first after thing him. he does is grab that bandana, rip it off his head, and that that glorious bald scalp is revealed. And it's like, right, that's that's right. He's he's bald, you know. You know something, Angle? You got a problem with bald people, brother? <laughs> Don't you know that bald people represent some of the greatest champions this industry's ever seen? Really? I'm talking about. Superstar Billy Graham. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. I'm talking about the rattlesnake, Stone Cold Steve Austin. That's right. Oh, yeah. There's one other guy that fits that description. (laughs) (laughs) Take a good look at it, Angle. The way you're going, this is going to be you pretty soon, brother. And if Edge doesn't get you at Judgment Day, well, quite apparently, Mother Nature will. (laughs) That ain't right. Look at Hogan, he's like Mr. Moorhead. He's got more heads than hair. Yeah, it's actually incredible to think about the fact that in 1991, uh, the WWF, um, I mean, from 1990 until 91, um, for a solid, you know, year plus, um, the, the two biggest attractions in the WWF were two large bald men, <laughs> I um, wish other in, in Hogan and Earthquake. I wish other sports and entertainment leagues like, uh, got it. You know, I, I, I just wish there yeah. were more, I wish there was more like bald, like awareness and like, I, I don't know. Yeah. I just, I wish there was less bald shaming in our culture. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, for all of Vince's faults, um, I I will say he was very progressive on on that that front. Um, Yeah, yeah, for sure. So we have Hogan Um, going to work on Earthquake here at at the turnbuckle in the corner. And this is... Yeah, real quick. Can I I just point out the the pop that that Hogan gets? uh, And one of the memories that's so, so deeply seared into my mind... um, uh, as a as a kid, was that um, when number twenty four, when the clock ticks down to zero, and number twenty four comes out, there's like a split second before Hogan comes out through the curtain, and some kid in the crowd in the audience screams Hulk Hogan before you could actually see um, who was emerging from the tunnel, and I just remember like that the excitement again. We we talked about like the the anticipation before you even saw this man appear. The, the scream of his name. Dude, you're about to train like you are number one. Train like you are number one. 
is like a like a like a piece of audio that's just like implanted in my memory. Um, and I just remember thinking, and the fact that again another just brilliant, uh, incredible choice by the WWF to to draw it out so that um, you know he wasn't the last one in the ring because that wouldn't have have given us enough time you know right. uh, uh, uh the, these fans who you know paid their money for their tickets or their pay-per-view um wouldn't have had enough time with him but the fact that they waited all the way until number 24 you know they didn't bring him out in the middle they it it just like the the build-up the anticipation it's like when is he going to be out there when is he you know we're all waiting for this guy and then it's not until number 24 that they that they reveal him um and yeah, just the buildup of that excitement, I'll like never forget. Um, and it was just like epitomized with the, the kids screaming his name before you, you, you even saw him emerge. Um, so I just wanted to kind of, I don't know, reminisce about yeah, that. Yeah, I mean, um, just the titillation. Um, uh, which so I much, think so much titillation. Ghost was getting at earlier was really something. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, at this point, these guys are just, everyone's putting in work. You had Hogan here with uh, Earthquake in the corner legs splayed on the ropes quake is just uh you know fully jammed into the turnbuckle and hanging on for dear life and it is just a uh like i said before a orgy of violence um and these men are you know wearing down um we have let me give you our final five uh entrance and then we can just talk about everyone as a group here we have uh haku we have uh, the Anvil. We have Bushwhacker Luke. We have um, after Bushwhacker Luke. We have well, wait. Luke is the is the one who who um, very famously like marches in. Oh, the final five. Uh, you mean not in left in the ring, but the final yeah, five the final five entrance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We have uh, it, yeah. oh, we have uh, we have uh, one half of the Nasty Boys, Brian Nobbs. Yeah, Brian Nobbs. Yeah, we have yeah. the Warlord and our thirtieth. Uh, entrant, um, of course, excluding a Macho Man. Our last entrant into the ring is Tugboat. My God! So, mm. um, guys, feel free to chime in with anyone that you want to talk about, whether it's a look, an entrance, something that you learned. Um, I know I personally have a lot of thoughts and feelings about the tugboat. Bushwhacker Luke is a famous one, um, and it, it ties back into our previous point about how. You know, these bushwhackers were just a, a different animal, if you will. They were just so, uh, you know, kind of unpredictable and, and whimsical in a way. So uh, Bushwhacker Luke, I believe, still holds the record for the shortest amount of time in a Royal Rumble. Um, he, you know, bushwhack marches um, in that, uh, you know, uh, inimitable way of theirs, uh, marches into the ring and then just marches right out as Earthquake, uh, you know, grabs him. Uh, by the uh, clothes and just tosses him over the rope. Um, he's literally in there for, I, th- I believe, two seconds, um, which is uh, still a record. And I just remember this being just a, a totally hilarious, delightful moment. Um, just like such a bit of like silliness <laughs> yeah. uh, in the middle of this you know, carnage and violence. Yeah. Um, like he just like actually just, just doesn't stop moving the whole time. Yeah, he just keeps doing the same yeah. bushwhack march into the ring and then right Earthquake out of the ring. Earthquake just takes him by the, the seat of side. the pants, throws him out and... Yeah, and he doesn't Luke have to do much to, to guide him. Bushwhacking straight on back to the dressing room. What an easy night for him. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I just love that little bit of whimsy. Um, uh, and, um, yeah, I mean, boy, what else? Um, All right, let's talk about, let's talk about Tugboat here. Uh, one, one, sure, one of the it. iconic. I can, I can tell you're, you're champion of the bit. Yeah, there. one of the iconic looks. Um, a ghost, I imagine that you have some stuff to say here about 
tugboat. Um, but the idea was simply they wanted a man who uh, was a boat, uh, who, who resembled a <laughs> boat, who looked like he worked on boats. Um, and he comes out, guys, in that candy-striped uh, tank top tee, the white sort of sailor pants with the red piping uh, along the sides. Um, he wasn't, I don't think he was wearing his hat in the entrance, but we always see him in the promos with the iconic um, sailor's white cap. Um, I mean, this guy was an icon. Uh, he, what was his iconic thing, Ben? He always used to like sound like the horn with like, he used to like toot toot. Yeah. He would do his little tugboat. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Ghost, anything you want to share here about Tugboat? Not so much. I mean, I, I liked him. He maybe, you know, going back to my comic book reference scale, it's like, uh, whereas uh, Earthquake was the giant, he was the brute. And uh, I, I liked him for that fact, the fact that he was larger than your average guy. And just, uh, I like those guys that just like those big fat guys that just had nothing to lose. They had brute strength and uh, they were a little bit scarier to me. So something... I learned uh, in doing research leading up to this event, Ben, you tipped me off to this um, and we can discuss is so leading up to this event in 1991, um, the plan was not always for Sergeant Slaughter to be the person that was the foil uh, as, as, as the person that sort of usurped America. Um, originally the plan was to have one of the close allies of America, one of the close allies of the Americana wrestler, the, the headliner of the WWF Hulk Hogan to have one of his allies and friends be the person that usurped America. And that per, you mean desert, uh, deserted America being, being, yeah, yeah, turned Benedict Arnold, right. Became a Benedict Arnold. And originally that person, Ghost, was going to be Tugboat. We, the original plan was to have a chic Tugboat. I don't I, We've talked about this a lot on our WrestleMania 7 episode and, well, a bunch of other episodes. So maybe there's only so much to touch on here. But And you even said at the top of the show, in hindsight, you wouldn't have done it. You also kicked around once upon a time that, the idea was going to be to have tugboat turn and have tugboat feud with Hogan. And you sort of freestyled and maybe a little tongue in cheek, chic tugboat. No, it wasn't tongue in cheek. He was going to be, he was going to be an Iraqi sympathizer and wear the, wear the whole thing on his head and everything. In hindsight, what could you have done here? If you, if you don't, if you decided, okay, this is in poor taste, bad timing. Uh, we got to scratch it. So we're going to call an audible warrior's going to go over. We're going to kill this Iraqi sympathizer shit. But now the next day we got to, we got to have a real plan for what we're doing for mania. What do you think it would have wound up being? I mean, I guess you could have done warrior savage still. Yeah. Um, which still needs some for the Hulkster. Yeah. And at that time we were still going in a stadium. Yeah. So you know, it, it was so. Maybe you would have turned tugboat. Maybe not as a chic, but you could have did tugboat Hogan. Nobody would have given a fuck. I love me some Fred, but nobody would have given a fuck at that point. 
before a yeah. sar- before there was a sergeant slaughter heel turn, before there was a yeah. drill sergeant, an American drill sergeant who turns on America and becomes an Iraqi sympathizer, the initial idea was, what if Tugboat becomes the Iraqi sympathizer and he is chic Tugboat? And that let's put a turban on the tug. I want to live in that timeline. <laughs> that I know, really right? blew my mind when I heard that. Yeah. God, it's not too late. He's still like uh, doing occasional uh, so, appearances. So Fred Ottman, if you're listening, <laughs> leading up to this event, guys, I don't know if you knew this, Ben, but leading up to this event. So Hogan is returning to the ring at this point after being away from the ring after a back injury. So uh, we Ben alluded to this before. I'm sure we'll talk about it as we talk about the final pairing here. There was an incident on the Brother Love Show where Earthquake attacked Hulk Hogan and Hogan injured his back. In reality, what was actually happening outside the ring was Hulk Hogan was going off to Hollywood to make a movie. Suburban Commando, to be exact. Charlie Wilcox is having a bad day. But help is on the way, and his name is Chef Ramsey. I'm here to rent the apartment. Suburban Commando. Honey, it's for you. It's Hulk Hogan, like you've never seen him before. Skateboarding, child raising, crime fighting. Charlie Wilcox has just discovered the solution for all life's problems. Leave a message or take a seat. Said, take a seat. Funny. That's real funny. Sometimes I just get carried away. I'm just your landlord. I bring you an extra bar of soap when you need it. For being a target for intergalactic bounty hunters is a little out of my life. I was frozen today. Hulk Hogan. What a nervous guy. Christopher Lloyd. Suburban Commando. You got any idea what we're going to do to you? You're going to pound my face. What are you, nuts? This is the 90s. We're going to see He's going to be making the movie Suburban Commando. So he needed time away. He needed time off from the ring to go make this movie. So the way the WWF framed it was that he had an injured back. He had to leave. He needed time to recuperate. And it was very upsetting to little kids at home. They didn't know what was happening to their hero, if he was okay, if he really broke his back. He left the brother love show, Ben, and goes on a stretcher. This was yeah. It was a very intense scene on that. Uh, it was a May twenty sixth episode of WWF Superstars. They called the paramedics. Uh, they called the paramedics. Yeah, there was a the team scene. of doctors in there. Yeah. The the sort of way they set it up was that you know um, uh, earthquake had done the the big splash on him, but it wasn't in a ring. It was on the this hard floor, like a cement floor, um, you know, of the of the Brother Love set. So the fact that uh, that it was on that 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 different surface uh, is what you know crushed Hulk's ribs and you know uh, really really did the the lasting damage. Um, and uh, I remember, yeah, uh, like I don't think I saw it live as a kid, but but on all the replays that they would show, you know, on the subsequent telecasts, it was always very like intense and like the there was like the concern, you know, of all the the, the swarm of doctors around him, like oh, give him air, give him air, it's you know. So and funny, the fact that they had to put him on a stretcher. They had all, they yeah, had all very the real. signposts, you know, all the little symbols that a child needs to see to understand that, like that man is hurt because I think I remember seeing at one point they had like a stethoscope to like check his breathing <laughs> and stuff. Sure. You know? So they're like, wanted to see yeah. if he was still alive and it's amazing. Do we have a pulse? Dude, yeah. it's amazing to rewatch the moment now because the cameras immediately, <laughs> immediately panned all the children in the crowd 
and they're all uh, like jaw agape. Just, yeah, just in case you weren't sure how to feel, they give you that social proof and let you know, hey, kid, cry like your peers. You should be crying, <laughs> yes. child at home. You should be crying yes. right now because your favorite hero might be dead, may have just been squashed yeah. to death. So, yeah. okay. So Hogan, you know, breaks his ribs, breaks his back. He needs time away from, from the WWF. In reality, he's going to film a movie. But... yeah. Hogan's good friend and ally, Tugboat, um, is the is the person that is uh, all this while is communicating to the WWF fans and audience at home, all the little kids, giving updates on Hogan, on his health and well-being, and basically he in, encourages and inspires this. <laughs> I mean, Ghost, this is really brilliant. A letter writing campaign. And kids, you can buy these little wristbands for Hogan, who's recovering. <laughs> and all you have to do is um, uh, uh, you have to write in a letter with your address, uh, your name and address, write it into the WWF. Insidious. Yep, make sure write you up. include that return address <laughs> on that envelope. Write a personalized letter. Soupy sales, soupy tugboat here. <laughs> this Go is into like, your parents' bedroom, kids, and get the... Get Green the credit pieces card. of paper with the men on them and yep. send them to me. All right, hello again, everybody. I'm still wearing my Hulk Hogan friendship bracelet, as millions around the world are currently doing. I can tell you this, Hulk Hogan is on the mend. Your cards and letters are making a difference. And you can write to him, come back, Hulk, P.O. Box 911 in Venice, California. Now then... We would like to pay homage to a man who has suffered tremendous adversity as of late. Over the years, he has given us so many special moments. With that in mind, ladies and gentlemen, here's a tribute to the one and only Hulk Hogan. So this is yeah. this is like the original. Uh, this is like the original, like one of the original, like scheme, like marketing scheme campaigns. Dude, pre, so, this so is like pre. Gnarly. This oh. is like pre. Give me your email address and I'll add you to my Fucking marketing. Vince. Yeah, this is this is like yeah. this is the original. You know, like we were joking before that we signed up at WWE.com to, to watch the uh, the Royal Rumble. This is like the original mm-hmm. version of this. Why don't you write a letter to Hulk Hogan, send it into the WWF headquarters with your name and address, and we will keep you on file. And what do you know? All of a sudden, those same people who are writing letters to Hogan were started getting uh, merchandise, magazines, and catalogs in the mail. So you could start mm-hmm. ordering all these WWF products. Um, so the original plan was Tugboat was encouraging kids at home to write letters to Hulk Hogan, expressing, you know, I hope you get well soon. Write, send him a card. <laughs> And meanwhile, the WWF and Vince McMahon are capturing all this valuable <laughs> marketing data, advertising data, uh, and it's it's all in you know WWF headquarters. 
But the original plan was to have Hogan's dear friend, Hulkamania, you know, the, the, the epitome of Americana, to have his dear friend, the tugboat, be the person that turns a, a, as, as a heel and becomes an Iraqi sympathizer. And he was going to be chic tugboat. But, of course, as we know, things didn't work out quite so simply. Uh, uh, Sergeant Slaughter, Ben, his, his, his star was exploding. And it became very clear t- that the, the real move was to have this American drill sergeant, this G.I. Joe uh, uh, figure, be the person that actually turns on America and embraces the dark side, embraces Saddam Hussein. Um, yeah. So that's how it wound up going. But it's just shocking to think that there is a, you know, a version of that story where it's tugboat that is the person yeah. that um, usurps America. Ghost, this image that you just sent is Speaking amazing. of G.I. Joe, Chris. Holy cow. Oh, wow. So there's this whole subculture of, like, toy modders out there. Uh, I'm aware oh, of this wow. through, you know, my follows on Instagram. And there's, there's some really cool stuff out there. They take 80s toys and they remix them and remake them and do this version and that version. That never would have been uh, make financial sense to, like, Hasbro or whoever to produce these things on a large scale. But on a whim, a toy modder is just – they made this ridiculous-looking – a uh, chic tugboat, and uh, oh, that's, that's the awesome. crazy thing about the internet. You just you, you can think of the most absurd thing, type it in, and it's like you willed it into reality. So I felt like uh, there it is for you, chic tugboat. Jeez, Louise, that's incredible. We'll have to drop that on Twitter, but yeah, all right. So it does exist. Confirmation. We're in our final moments of the match here, guys. Just call out anything you see, any, any anything that caught your eye. I mean, tugboat versus earthquake at one point is very notable to me. Tugboat sort of leaps on Earthquake, and you have these two gigantic men just going at it in the, in the corner, in the turnbuckle. Tugboat just just leaping, leaping on the Earthquake, using his whole torso. Um, that was really mm-hmm. something. Anything else you guys noticed? Yeah, I loved uh, Tugboat's lifting by the neck of the model, um, who is still in there. Um, yeah, I mean, we, we've kind of, with all the other stuff we've had to talk about, we haven't, I don't think we've paid enough respect to the model and his performance uh, in this match. He just keeps hanging uh, hanging on, oh God, you know, slithering back under the ropes at every, yeah, every time you think he's on the brink, uh, teetering. Um, he finds a way to hang on, um, you know, just every other time, you, you know, the camera cuts to him, he's on the on the ropes about to topple out. Um yeah, at one point, Tugboat's lifting and strangling him. Um, and I just love, like, mo- like just, like, Model's hair, just, when you think it can't get any, like, wetter or, like, greasier, like, somehow it, it becomes, like, stringier, like, as the match goes on. And, yep. like, um, yeah, it's just incredible uh, visual um, from him. And um, let's see here. Yeah. Uh, Bulldog eliminates Mr. Perfect um, in a, one of my favorite eliminations. Um Perfect's trying to climb to the top ropes. Not a great idea during a Royal oh, Rumble. Yeah. Uh, Bulldog punches him so that he, you know, he 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 uh, falls off the top ropes right onto his nuts on the turnbuckle. One of one of my favorite <laughs> moves, uh, certainly as a kid. And then instead of just pushing him over, once uh, you know Mr. Perfect's in that vulnerable vulnerable position, Bulldog just does a flat-footed standing drop kick, oh, um, and he gets like some insane height. Mr. Perfect is sitting on the top turnbuckle. Um, so, you know, a good, I don't know what, like eight feet, um, 
probably like uh you know his chest is, is probably a good eight feet and bulldog does a flat-footed standing drop kick and hits him square in the chest um it's, uh, which is just like such a style so difficult Dude, it's such like a style points move where it's like you could have just pushed him out but you wanted to yeah. fucking drop kick him out and that is insane yeah. and requires so many props <laughs> yeah yeah um love that moment um yeah, we're down to the final five My now. God. Bulldog is is still hanging on. Model is still so in there. So what's our final, I our final point, five? We have Bulldog, Hogan, Bulldog, Rick the Model, Martel, Model, Hogan, uh, Brian from the Nasty Earthquake. Boys, and the Earthquake. Yeah? Earthquake. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, Model's still in there, digging down in the guts, as uh, I believe Hot Rod says. He's going after Bulldog. Um, he, he gives Bulldog a, a body slam, and then while... Uh, Davy Boy is down on the mat. Uh, model, much like Perfect, tries to go up on the top rope. Same mistake that, that Perfect made. Uh, Bulldog, uh, this time, gets to his feet and grabs the ropes and starts shaking the ropes um, to, to make Model lose his balance, which I just, again, just like to think to do that. Like, I'm like, oh, of course, like shake the, shake ropes, the ropes. And then he loses his balance. Yeah. Um, perfect heads up play by Bulldog. Model goes nuts first into the top turnbuckle and uh and Bulldog power clotheslines him this time. Um so he's so out. We're, just a fantastic we're down to our fantastic final death. four. We have yeah. the British Bulldog, Brian from the Nasty Boys, Hulk Hogan and Earthquake. Uh what a run for the British Bulldog. Making the final four here is a big yeah. big deal. Yeah, yeah, the crowd is loving him. For him to eliminate the model was huge. Uh, the model uh, at that point now had had uh, uh, set a new longevity record for f- uh, being in there for 52 minutes and 17 seconds. Mm. That is his, his official time, um, shattering the previous record, I believe, of like 40 minutes, something like that. Um, so, yeah, final four is Bulldog, uh, Earthquake, uh, Brian Knobs, and, and Hogan. Uh, sadly, my heart was broken um, not long after this when uh, Quake and Knobs quickly team up and, and eliminate Bulldog. He just, you know, he just ran out of gas, ran out of talent. <laughs> hey, yeah, it um, should be pointed out, Ben. Knobs and Earthquake for the preceding, you know, 10 minutes or so have kind of had a uh, tenuous little alliance going. They, you you mm. see them uh, on a number of occasions team up and just, you know, hey, look here, we're going to do this right now. So that they've kind of throughout the whole thing been uh, teaming up on guys. Ghost, can you give mm-hmm, us a, mm-hmm. just a minute or thought or two on uh, Brian Nobbs, the Nasty Boy, just oh, on, yeah. on his look? With, so is this like splatter paint? We have like a a, a basic like mm. black. His getup is like black. Are they jeans? They they he he feels like he's like semi-punk with like yeah yeah no you just hit on the key word chris so uh i'd love to this look really informed a lot of uh my brain's development uh in the early 90s (laughs) and i i associated heavily with uh ben for good reason just uh yeah this is what we were we labeled and i think ben was instrumental in the labeling of this at the time punk uh, it was a term that came out of the late 80s, and it described it perfectly. He's got that neon uh, multicolor splatter that you might associate with a Lisa Frank uh, binder, or just about anything mm. coming out of the late 80s. He's got this cool mohawk slash mullet. It's uh, mm. kind of a hybrid. And yeah, he's just like yeah. kind of a punk just, that you imagine living in just his dingy apartment. He's uh, just doing whatever he wants, doing... So... 
the nasty boys like were kind of like my model for cool uh, and uh, a bit of an aside but it's relevant I was writing stories in uh, first grade I think that's about what this was Ben that necessitated uh, a call home to the parents to see what was going on at home what was going on at home was uh, me attending church, eating three uh, wholesome meals a day, being dressed in polo shirts. Okay, it was like the perfect like middle class deal going on. And the teacher had to wonder why Christopher is writing about uh, a, a, a band of rats that live in a dingy apartment, do drugs, have sex, get tattoos, and go run over <laughs> old, quote, old grannies in their car. Where is Christopher getting this? And Christopher was getting this from Vince McMahon. And Brian Knobs was like the, the golden model for like what these rats, I, I made them rats, um, were doing. Hey, bushwhackers, we're talking to nobody but you. We're on the road to success, the nasty way. And you stinking Kiwis on a roadblock. And guess what? We're going to step on you two rotten bugs and you're going through nasty bill. And we're not only going to beat you, we're going to hurt you. Yo! Way! Hey! There ain't none of that going on in Nasty Bell! Look at these eyes, Bushwhackers! The Nasty Boys are hungry once again! We're coming after you, and there ain't nowhere to go! Butch! Luke! Get ready! We're coming to kick butt! We're coming to Nasty Side Shoe! And you're going down! One, two, three! Brian, he was the epitome of cool. Break all the rules, be a slob, drink <laughs> beer. Like, that's where these rats were getting their behavior problem. My parents were aghast to, to see this. And, uh... uh. Ben, I don't know if you remember, you know, maybe we composed some of these stories together. It was uh, yeah, stories yeah. about punk rats that lived in, in apartments that did all these kinds of things that I was never directly exposed to or even tangentially exposed to, except <laughs> and exclusively through the programming of Vincent McMahon Jr. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I can definitely uh, confirm and corroborate all of that. Um I would say that it's funny when you said rats, I thought you were going to go to, so basically my first exposure to punk culture was the nasty boys and Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, um, specifically Bebop and Rocksteady. Bebop, Rocksteady, destroy them. With great pleasure, Master Shredder. Jump for it. To New York City punks that you know touched the ooze and got mutated into um, a uh, a warthog and rhinoceros, respectively. Didn't we see these guys on WrestleMania? Prove yourselves to me. You introduced the notion of punk into my life, Ben. Just so you understand. Yeah. Like, uh, I, I associate wow. that word and will forevermore with you. <laughs> That's uh, that's a, that's a, I take that as a, a the highest honor and compliment. So I'm really proud of that. Um, but so, yeah, Brian Knobs. I don't was, know, yeah. Ghost. I don't know if this means anything to you. I mean, this is a real shot in the dark. But were you guys aware? I collected or I I had Garbage Pail Kid cards. D- does that ring a bell? Mm, oh yeah, for sure. So mm-hmm. Brian Knobs always and and the Nasty Boys always gave me a yeah. sort of Garbage Pail Kid vibe. Yeah. With their mm-hmm. sort of like, um, they were gross. Yeah, they, they weren't. They, they were just really like cool like punks. They celib- were like disgusting. They celebrated like 
like like disgusting underworld stuff like 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 sewage and like Ben I immediately <laughs> think of like when we think of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles I think of the sewer check it out man anything you guys want we got anything you want to do do it you know what I'm saying anything you got any cigarettes regular or mental Ryan Nobbs was like struck me as a guy that could have been in Shredder's army and like would hang out in the sewer and just like counterculture yeah, kind of gross burping picking his vomit nose, all that is encompassed in Brian Nobbs <laughs> uh, missing tooth it's all there it's all good yeah 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 totally yeah another guy that like clearly like didn't care about his appearance at all like for his like kind of like cool deliberate like splatter paint look like he was just like a slob like he he didn't yeah. you know he wasn't trying to look cool he was just like this is just how i dress and this is also how i wrestle because i'm not going to like put forth the effort to like change my clothes <laughs> yeah incredible character um it's just a lot to wrap my God, head around just man. so much like what a fucking world like what a an insane colorful like how like how could the number of just different for kids it's 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 insane i mean it's brilliant we just yeah we ate it up like garbage um which is what it was um so anyway so yeah now knobs and and quake are teamed up against the hulk and monsoon comes right out and says i don't like the hulk's chances here it's the hulkster Um, it is a two-on-one situation. Yeah. Clearly, two heels versus versus our our, our Hulkster. Um, it is uh, it is not looking good. Um, Quake gives him a big splash. The uh, you know Quake and Noms are are now celebrating in the ring over over uh, you know Hulk's body, near nearly lifeless body. Then Quake starts the jumping. Uh oh! Here comes the Quake. No, we're not gonna have a no. Things do not look good for the Hulk. He starts jumping around, you know, Hogan's body on the flat on the mat. Uh-oh, here it comes. Hot Rod's yelling, no, no, move. But <laughs> so sadly, Hulk <laughs> does not move in time. The earthquake splash is administered, and it looks like it's all over for the Hulkster. Uh, Monsoon says, things do not look good for the Hulk. And I just remember feeling legit sadness. Like this was yeah. like a tragic turn. Like after all we'd been through, after all that we had, you know, he had fought through. I mean, just think about the night um, in general. Like we were really learning about like the nature of evil and that sometimes like evil could triumph. And that is what felt like was going to happen here. It's like, oh, I guess like evil will win again. But we'd already seen evil yeah, triumph that's earlier. What I mean. like, so slaughter, it was a fully. Like we learned the hard yeah. way through slaughter where it was like this could yeah. happen. It was a totally legitimate possibility that this could all end in, in absolute tragedy. Um, uh, but of course, um, as soon as uh, as uh, Monsoon utters things do not look good for the Hulk, he jumps to his feet. Yes! 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 They don't even know it! Look at this! Double clothesline! Come on! What the fuck's going on? Boy. They're on their feet here. 
Yes, yes, Hot Rod screams. Double clothesline, Quake and Nobs go down. Nobs, you know, stumbles to his feet only to be met with a big boot to the head. He's out of there. And it is down to the ultimate one-on-one that has been, you know, built up. Now, Quake and and Hulkster had um, met previously, I believe at SummerSlam, they had a one-on-one match that ended, I think, in like some kind of a countout or disqualification or something like that. Um, But this was like a big, you know, sort of one-on-one showdown as the the climax. Um, You know, this was the um the the you know the, the two two biggest stars pretty much in the in the uh, company um so we got the ending you know that we're that we're looking for here it's 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 one on one good versus evil uh hulkster is just unloading now on on earthquake a boot to the face quake is dazed earthquake doesn't have a clue where he is as monsoon um then hulk walks walks over and uh clobbers jimmy hart just for good measure uh, you know earthquake's manager jimmy hart um, who was, uh, you know, up on the apron, uh, squealing like a little, uh, maniac with his megaphone. So Hulk, Hulk gets that little pipsqueak out of there. Um, and then, um, just as, uh, as it feels like he's got all the momentum, uh, Hulk tries to scoop slam quake, can't hold that tremendous, tremendous body weight and just crumples with earthquake falling on top of him. Um, and it looks like the tide has has turned here. Earthquake uh, gives him a couple of big elbows. Um, One thing I want to point out a, is when Quake leans, Ghost. Uh, when Quake leans into those ropes, I know he said. really <laughs> dips Ooh. back. I mean. Does he not look incredibly comfortable? I mean, this is a man that like really knew how to transfer his weight, and he really allowed his weight to lean into those elastic ropes. Absolutely. I mean, two points on that. Yeah, he's super comfortable, but it also it gives it's like that feeling of being on the edge of a cliff. It's like it's you're really playing with inches and just a little bit more pressure. Uh, you could picture that whole ring collapsing. I mean, he is pushing them to the absolute limit, and he knows yeah. the limit. To your point, he knows how far he can push it. Uh, so it's it, it's a sight to see. It's like a blue whale. Just uh, <laughs> I, I'm speechless. The guy's uh, yeah. Uh, Eighth wonder of the world. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. He goes practically horizontal when he's when he's uh, on those ropes. Uh, like if you were um, to freeze frame that, it's like you know those shots, those uh, still frame shots of like a balloon with the moment it explodes or whatever, <laughs> or like a bullet going through an apple. Like honestly, yeah. if you were to freeze frame like a, a tenth of a millionth of a second, he's actually probably ten feet out into the crowd on yes. those ropes. Yes. It's, it's <laughs> Absolutely. Craziness. Yeah. I mean, his. His his butt his lower back appears to touch the ground. Um, it is <laughs> really so something, man. Yeah, yeah, incredible. Um, and then he picks Hulk up. Um, and reminder, Hulk Hogan is a three hundred and five, three hundred ten pound man at this point. Um, Quake scoops him up, um, has him in his arms like a baby. 
um, and then just like walks them across the ring. Like a huge power slam down, just a, a thundering slam down on that mat. Um, uh, Hot Rod says, "Man, oh man!" Um, and it looks like, all right, that's uh, that's you know, it's got got to be lights out. Um, but then, uh, curiously, Quake tries to pin uh, Hogan. Um, I guess he momentarily forgot the. Uh, rules of oh, this yeah. uh, particular of course, event, yeah. Um, yeah, which is that pin, pinfalls do not uh, count. Uh, there's no ref in the ring to to even uh, you know count three. Um, so as uh, you know, Quake uh, you know uh, puts him puts himself over Hogan for the pin. Uh, Holt kicks out, and that's when it begins. Uh, the basically the greatest. Uh, process uh of of my childhood which is the hulk out um hulking up big hulking up sorry sorry not hulking out hulking up um yeah the 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 shake of the head it begins with the shake of the head Where he whips that sweaty, wet hair, that stringy yellow hair, just whips it across the back of his head back that and forth. That is critical, Ghost. I just we should talk about that because those little strands of hair are very wet to Ben's point. And he mm. is like a wet dog, like a wet like wheat and terrier or something that's just soaked thoroughly been soaked in the rain and he or she just comes in from from outside uh, on a walk and just literally just rinses off just shakes all his or her water off absolutely i think all the chemical treatment that when you do that to the hair it kind of affects the rigidity of the strands of the hair so it's got this extra just flimsiness to it it's just literally Mm -hmm. like pieces of uh just corn silk waving yep. in the wind yep. yeah really, that's the thing his they've lost Hulk's hair all, when it was you know the under undergirding like all the proteins in the hair have just been completely just they're hanging on to that scalp for dear life <laughs> and they're just whipping like a uh, fishing twine yeah it's so true when that hair was dry it was like like a doll's like silk <laughs> yeah, hair it's like it was like barbie hair it was really just yeah. very fine and then when it got wet which is we have to say hulk's ability to sweat um was such a huge part of his appeal yeah. for me yeah. um his body you know just seeing it completely drenched and then his hair would be completely you know like it did look like he had literally dunked his head in a tank of water it was so completely thoroughly saturated um and so that hair just took on like a whole new dimension when when the, and i remember like i would literally like, i used to like get excited when i could tell like his hair was like starting to get wetter 
I'd be like, okay, like, this is the Hulk that I always wanted to see. Was like the, the sweat drenched. Yeah, yeah, the wet Hulk. Um, such, oh my god. Um, and then yeah, so the the process has begun. He is now completely impervious to pain. The the giant, you know, fish lips, the the bulging eyes, um, just all the little elements of the of the Hulk up. Um, uh, look at that, Hot Rod says. Impervious to pain, Monsoon says. And then the finger right in the face of Earthquake, as if to, you know, admonish him, to, to scold him for his bad behavior, for, for attempting to, uh, to wrestle yeah. against Hulk Hogan. He gets a, a, a very stern finger right into the face. Um, and then that, of course, is followed up by the boot to the face. That's size 16. And then Hulk begins asking the people what they want. He's, he's now, you know, eliciting input from the crowd, is he not? I mean, this is really something. It's just, it's yeah. it's crowd work. Like, it it it's just, Jesus, man. He just really knew how to work the crowd. Yeah, yeah. He's just talking to his people in real time, um, just playing them. You know, like a like a like, like a, a fiddle. fiddle. And uh, yeah, um, and they want that power slam. There's no doubt about it. Um, and uh, guess what? Hulk gives it to him. Lifts Earthquake up. This time he gets him clean. And Quake, we should say at this shoulder. point, is just staggering around. He, oh, he yeah. is He's, yeah. he is basically, he looks like a 450-pound drunk where he just can't seem to walk on a straight line. And Yeah, he's staggering. He's, he's really losing it, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So Hogan slams so him gets down, him gets him back slam. up. And then yeah. uh, Hot Rod yells, throw him out. And uh, sure enough, Hulk sizes him up, kind of waits for him to, to kind of get in position. Um, and then... Throw him out! I can't believe this, what kind of power the Hulkster possesses. He's setting him up here, look out! It's over! Just hits him with a big old clothesline, easy peasy, right over hits the top. Hits him row. with a clothesline from behind. I will say it was a little. I remember thinking like, oh, he didn't even wait for him to be like facing him. It felt a little anticlimactic. Yeah, it felt a little snake like. Yeah. Like you, you could have, you just it took him from behind, man. Like he, he didn't, he, he never even knew it was coming. But yeah, yeah. It didn't feel like the most you know manly way to yeah. dispose dispense of a. But of the someone. arena, but, uh, the hey, arena you know erupts, of course, and of course. then you know Hogan with his arms in the air.
doesn't surprise me that he's the last man in the ring. I'm not sure that he knew he could keep his promise, but in the end result, check that out. Take a look. You know, the stars and stripes here. Um, it's a party. Now it's a party. Now it's a party. We're celebrating we're celebrating whole we're celebrating America. Yeah. Um, and it is just You got you got I mean Hulk strutting around the ring in his yellow underwear, a lot of pointing to, to the big fella upstairs to God and he's talking to the fans, he's doing crowd work. He pulls a sign ghost from the crowd here. Let's get a look at what this sign says. What does that say? It says Hulk rules. Um, Mm -hmm. he loves that. He's putting that on display, showing that one to everyone. He goes out, gets another sign. What's this one say, Ben? It says peace in the middle East. (laughs) Peace in the middle. He seems very into this one. He actually throws the whole rule sign down almost like in disgust (laughs) and, and and kind of turns his attention in favor of the peace in the middle East sign. That's the one that he's really got, got his, uh, you know, strikes his fancy. He's, he's pointing to that yeah, one. Ghost, can you see what it um, says on, on the other side of peace in the middle East? Something about Bobby Chris, Heenan. I spent uh, way too long trying to decode <laughs> just that. Um, I was going to ask you guys. He, I think it has something to do with Bobby Heenan. It says Heenan something with, will, with win, maybe? It's, it's Heenan will what? Heenan will serve time? time. Oh, I bet it must be a big mm. boss man sort of. Um, ah, that's a good, yeah, that's a good serve, guess. Definitely. Heenan will hard serve time? Hard, hard time. time. Oh, oh I just solved the Jeopardy. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Very nice, guys. Wow, yeah, that was I like mean, Wheel of Fortune. fortune I, you know, yeah. Whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, Gorilla Monsoon and Tones. In my book, folks, you're looking at the greatest professional athlete in the world today, bar none. And uh, I gotta say, as a little kid, I I was I was swayed by that yeah. argument. I I was fully on board uh, with Monsoon's uh, proclamation there. Um, I love that he that that you know the, the fact that Hulk is an athlete. He's not a, a performer. He's not an entertainer. He's an athlete, folks. He's a professional athlete. Um, and, uh, and he's the, he's the greatest, uh, in the, in the entire world. Um, we have one last sign here. Um, Hulk yep. grabs a, uh, a piece of poster board that you would get, uh, this, you could find this all the time goes, I mean, they must still have them, but I remember as a kid when you were working on a project at school, you, you would have to go to, you know, uh, uh, Staples or Staples. Yeah. You go to Staples or Office Depot to get a piece of poster board. And very often they would have these highlighter colors, um, also so, a classic for tag and garage sales during the summertime. Very nice. So mm. Hogan grabs a like a highlightery orange colored poster with an American flag in the corner, and it reads, "Ben Saddam and Slaughter will surrender." Mm-hmm. We mm-hmm. love that. We love that. Yeah. Hot Rod sees that. He yells, "God bless America!" Um, and now, at this we, point, there's an American quick... flag floating around the front uh the front row of the audience you know it's like on a big long wooden post it's like i don't think i noticed that before but i guess there's just been an american flag down there it just magically appeared um seems like a plant possibly real quick though before that can we talk a little bit about the black markings that have suddenly appeared on holt's uh sort of upper uh like chest area so um it's pretty uh, obvious now, um, in hindsight, that that is um, marker ink that has has rubbed off 
um, when the when the uh, marker ink of of one of the posters that he was holding, you know, got in contact with his, uh, you know, sweaty hot uh, hot dog chest, um, it 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 you know there was a, a quick uh, you know chemical uh, you know attraction type thing that happened, and, and the marker was instantaneously transferred onto his chest. Now here's a confession though. Um, I remember very, very vividly um, as a kid seeing those black smudges on Hulk's uh, chest and like not quite putting two and two together about the, the posters and the ink. And I literally remember thinking as a kid, like, wow, like, look at him. He looks like he's been through a literal war. Um, I, I was just like, I don't know what that's from. Like, maybe it was just like, wow. it was just like battle marks. It was like some, it was just like a, like a, like a signifier to me that he had, had been in a battle. Like maybe it was from like, like dirt from like another wrestler's boot. Uh, or maybe it was like somehow like someone like uh, had like hit him with something at some point that like caused those marks. I, I like totally just like in my little eight year old brain, I didn't think of the poster and I was just like, he's that, that could be like like smoke from a, like an ash from like a fire like who the fuck like maybe i missed something when i was watching there was so much chaos and and carnage that you know it was impossible to to keep my eye on everything and i just remember thinking like that is a sign that he it's has a survived of a war been through the gauntlet yeah it's just a sign of wear and tear um who knows where he got it but man he has survived um and he just looked uh, just so sweat drenched and that the black marking. I'm just like, uh, I don't know. It really, <laughs> it really got me. It, uh, it really, really had an effect on me. And of course, now I realize as an adult, oh, yeah, that's just black marker ink that he uh, got uh, five seconds ago. <laughs> um, but I just needed to get that, uh, that little memory off my chest. All right, guys, let's talk about big picture thoughts uh, kind of things we learned and that we've taken away from the uh, the 1991 Royal Rumble. I mean, talking about like the 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 final sort of images that um, that grace our screen as this event concludes. Um, yeah, you know, we we mentioned Hulkster grabs the the American flag, and uh, you know, it's Hulkster with old glory, and Hot Rod says, "All right, only in America, what a beautiful sight!" And it's like literally just pure propaganda being shoved down our throats um but then i honestly didn't it wasn't until this final exchange uh rowdy roddy piper says quote um as the you know everyone is just uh cheering wildly as hulk waves the american flag Piper says, this is the kind of support America gives its own. To which Monsoon replies, and with that kind of support, the U.S. of A. can never be beaten. To which Piper then replies, this is the kind of support America gives the world. And I didn't realize it until rewatching this thing three or four or five times, however many I did. Um, this was the line that actually that actually brainwashed me as a child. 
this is the kind of support America gives the world is the line that I used as the basis for my understanding of my country and of its place in the world, literally for the rest of the decade of the 1990s. <laughs> um, and it like, when I think about why that is, it's like, sure. Um, you know, you, like, can you, Basically, I'm asking, can you blame me? <laughs> a, where was I ever going to receive any alternative viewpoint to that? And B, um, and obviously I understand, like, yeah, if I had been older and more, I don't know, intellectually curious or, uh, you know, m more um, diligent about, you know, reading uh, different publications and, and uh, whatever, radio stations, who knows. Um, but... A, they didn't really exist, certainly, in, like, my, you know, mainstream, upper-class, white, little world of privilege uh, that I grew up in. Um, but B, even if I had stumbled across one of those um, sources of information, do you think it would have had the same persuasive power um, as a sweat-drenched Hulk Hogan uh, waving the American flag uh, as uh, Rick Derringer's Real American blasts over the PA system and... Uh, 15,000 people scream in, in adulation um, uh, following the conclusion of, you know, this three-hour, like, epic uh, that we had just witnessed. Um, uh, I'm, I'm basically just kind of, um, I don't know, uh, apologizing <laughs> to myself, I yeah, guess. Yeah, I don't think um, any apologies are necessary, man, because the <laughs> truth is that we were all right there with you when you ask, like, can you blame you? And the answer is uh, obviously yeah. not. No, we were... I certainly was in the same boat. And I think many children uh, who grew up on the WWF, um, like us, uh, were in the same boat, which was like naive. And frankly, like we wanted to believe what we were being told was real. And we were watching this fantasy. Um, and we wanted to believe that there was like law and order and good in the world and that like good would triumph over evil and that we were on the good side and that even though that there are evil forces in the world like we know about from movies like we know about from literature and mythology and religion and all these things if you're good and if you treat people well and if you say your prayers and you take your vitamins and you eat your vegetables it's all going to work out in the, in the end and that is what we wanted to believe because that is a safe, comforting narrative, I think. And yeah. the WWF fed us that narrative. And it's a very comforting, normal thing to want um, security and safety because the opposite, the inverse of that is chaos and disorder. And those are yeah. very terrifying things. Uh, those are very uncomfortable emotions to feel so i think the wwf was a pacifying soothing blanket in some ways for many little kids and i think frankly like probably parents too parents like wanted their mm -hmm. kids to believe that their that that america was good that america was on the right side and right yeah it was not only uh, the feeling of of like comfort and safety and security of like okay we're um, safe because our country is going to win, but also beyond that, the security and comfort of, of feeling like we're going to win and we're the baby face. America is the good right. guy. 
Um, and that was like the most critical, like kind of brainwashing that, that occurred there. Um, that, that really, really like, yeah, that, that, that succeeded. Uh, well, and, and it was just like so effective. Well, yeah. The reason it's so effective, Ben, is because persuasion is majority emotion, minority facts. Whether we, yeah. we like to think otherwise, we like to think we're also not just as kids, but even as adults, we like to think that we're just this clinical ability to parse reality but we're really not we're led around by the nose by emotion but you know through training and being diligent and having our head on a swivel we can corral that those baser instincts we don't have those defenses we don't have those copes as kids uh some people never grow out of that it's not a diss against them it's just they never had the exposure to the being able to put up the defenses against it uh but and vince knew this and uh he you know no i mean goes to that point like we are primal beasts um and and vince tapped into that he knew that (laughs) we are all barbarians yeah we are left to our devices without books um without like the ability to uh not act on pure instinct and adrenaline we are lawless creatures and it requires us to sort of stop and intervene uh to not allow our base instincts to just overrun everything i agree with you 100 percent, chris it's a conscious uh daily effort to uh to be good amen wow on that note <laughs> yeah i think on that note um <laughs> thanks everyone for listening thanks ghost and ben for all the work that you've done um talking here ghost let's talk uh, i mean it wasn't a work little for bit me about where what you're up to and where we yeah. can find you and your work um, your we can purchase your art on trashbagghost.com. You're on Instagram and Twitter and all the social platforms at trashbagghost. Uh, you have a live draw. I know that's going to be happening again. Tell us a little bit about I don't know what you're working on and anything you want to promote. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks, Chris. Uh, so this has been a pleasure, fellas. Um, and yeah, my my social media where you can find me trashbagghost across everything. Um, and the live draw will be off hiatus uh, this month, later this month. So look forward to that. Nice. Do you know the first um, topic, like the first theme of the live draw? Have you announced it yet? I haven't announced it yet. Okay. We've done. We've ta- we've taken the time off to do a little retooling, a little you know focusing of the laser beams, and so uh, that will be announced. You can't miss that on my uh, Instagram. I started a page. I imagine by the time this final episode airs, it's we've we're probably months past the the, the actual li- first live draw that you've done. <laughs> it's possible. <laughs> I mean, yeah. Yeah. Tune in but, um, to Ghosts uh, Instagram and Twitter feeds and all the information on the live draw. Uh, if it's happening by the time this episode comes out, you'll know about it through those channels. You'll yeah? know about it, Chris. And one of the, I mean, a lot of behind the scenes stuff. I'm working on a lot of 3D stuff that I haven't even like Ooh. scratched the surface of in terms of showing that on my Instagram. A lot of 3D modeling, a lot of 3D texturing. So that's all coming down the pipe. And additionally, I started up a uh, Patreon. Uh, it's off to a rousing start. I've had, I have 15 patrons within a couple months, so that's very awesome. If you guys want to check it out, I give you access to HD wallpapers and NFTs, which are non-fungible tokens, which is basically, for the layman, crypto art, art on the blockchain. This is becoming, a. It, believe it or not, you know, these 
pieces of art are being traded on the blockchain for thousands of dollars, thousands of Ethereum, whatever you want to call it. Uh, nice. So, uh, Is this like rare, like rare Pepe's, basically? Well, it's funny you mention that. You could look at rare Pepe's as kind of the uh, proto NFT. Uh, mm. You know, we don't want to associate ourselves with rare Pepe's. It's sure, sure. No, not to make that, uh, yeah. You know, kind of history there. But um, NFTs are just everyone um, can put art on the blockchain now. And so I distribute those to my patrons. And also you get a uh, inside look at my sketchbook. I, I'll take pictures and I do take pictures. It's up right now if you were to sign up. All the inside look at upcoming projects, you know, right directly from up here in the brain down to the, the sketchbook where the rubber meets the road. So I give access to my patrons to, to get that little behind the curtain look. So if you guys Insane. want to check That's it out, amazing. it's on my Patreon. I just wrote it down on That's my like little the, notepad. Uh, NFTs, art on the blockchain, question mark. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Well, you're, mark my words, guys. Every single person, every new phone you buy within 18 months of now is going to have a crypto wallet embedded in it. Every browser you download will have a crypto wallet embedded in it. And these will be the means by which you can transact uh, these NFTs. Uh, you're going to, it's going to be a receptacle for NFTs and for cryptocurrency. It's, uh, yeah, get ahead of the game. Get an NFT uh, wallet. All right. Blown All my right. mind, um, as always. <laughs> yeah. Guys. Now, that's very exciting. We should also note, I don't think we've actually reminded uh, our listeners since we began this Royal Rumble cycle, but um, uh, in case anyone's unaware, Trash Bag Ghost is, um, in fact, the artist of our, uh, the designer and creator of our logo, of our uh, and podcast And I'll break logo. a little news so. on the pod while, while we're all here. I think it's uh, something of an unkept secret, but um, we're in the not-too-distant near future Ghost we are going to be rolling out some Swish FM merchandise uh, with your help. Uh, mm. So for the listeners, if you're interested in ordering a shirt, a snapback, whatever it is, um, hang tight because that stuff is right around the corner. And uh, we are real excited to see what the, uh, the ghost can help us cook up. It's going to be one of the greatest uh, podcast merch programs. All right, guys. Thanks very much. We did it. The 1991 Royal Rumble deep dive. Uh, We didn't anticipate it being a 10-hour series, but that's what happened. (laughs) 10 hours worth of content. Mm -hmm. 10 hours hours of discussion for a three-hour event. I mean, we kept it tight. We kept it really, really yeah. tight. Um, Chris was a merciless timekeeper, and it just um, has to be that way. Yeah, I mean, all we can say is, um, if you uh, if you want more of this content, we'll uh, just have to keep bringing it to you. Yeah. So, who knows what uh, what uh, forgotten uh, you know old pay per view we'll have to dig up next time? But hopefully, more to come. Guys, this was a pleasure. Uh, I will talk to you both in a little bit. Take care. All right, boys. All right, boys. Later. See ya. You've been listening to. Woo!